how many shadows can fall on one man. Welcome to Uncle Bob's Campfire. Bob on Ice It was 4.30 in the morning and I was shivering. This was strange because I had made sure the heater was on before I went to bed. It was the end of November and winter had set in early. It must have been 20 degrees outside, but I found the air conditioner was on full blast. This was equally puzzling to my sleep-clouded mind because my roommates had left for home on our university's Thanksgiving break, and I was alone in the apartment, or supposed to be. I got out of bed and walked into the living room to fiddle with the thermostat. I stopped with my hand hovering near the light switch. A slightly overweight shadow was sitting on the sofa, studying me. I flipped on the light. Randy, I said, but you left for the airport hours ago. They wouldn't let me on the airplane, he said, too sick. My eyes adjusted, and my roommate indeed did not look well. Sweat was streaming down his flushed face, and he had positioned himself under one of the cold spewing vents. He moved toward me, and I instantly recoiled. I'm not contagious, he said. It's hereditary, triggered by stress. You know, airports are stressful. I couldn't disagree with that. I guess we'll have Thanksgiving together then, I said. I wasn't planning on anything, just grabbing a chicken sandwich at McDonald's. Randy told me that was a preposterous idea. I didn't know what else to do, though. The family members who were speaking with me at the time had moved to the other side of the country, and I couldn't afford a plane ticket. You're going home with me, Randy said. I protested. He didn't look like he was in any shape to try the airport again anyway. No, he said. I was going to fly to my mom's house, but my dad and stepmom live a few hours away. They always cook extra. He grabbed his car keys off the table. Come on, their cooking isn't as good as my mom's, but it can't be worse than fast food. Something bothered me about this, and not just the fact that Randy hated his stepmother. Still, I had to know. Will they have pecan pie? They normally bake three, Randy said. I was convinced. That's how I ended up in Randy's Toyota Camry as he drove us through the mountains. He was apologetic about the long drive through nowhere and assured me his dad was planning on moving closer to civilization next year. I told myself all the Thanksgiving pie would make the slog on the lonely, winding highway worth it. He insisted on driving with his window down. The world was simply too hot for him right now. I was just grateful to go somewhere for the holiday, so I told him it was fine and zipped up my heavy coat. As the sun rose, my anxiety about the trip began to disappear. I tried talking to him about the usual stuff. Since he was a math major who would never shut up about advanced calculus, I asked him how his classes were going. I then asked him about the movie marathon he was planning, whose turn it was to clean the bathroom that week, why tuition was going up so much next semester, what genius prankster had let the cows loose in the school library. All got nods and grunts from him. The dinging of the fuel light startled Randy. Fortunately, a gas station wasn't far. Once we pulled in, he couldn't figure out the pumps. Though they weren't anything special, I paid for the tank of fuel. My fingers were hurting from the cold, and I had forgotten gloves, so I bought some hand warmers, and Randy insisted I buy him an ice cream sandwich while I was at it. Weird, but fine. We got on the road again, and it wasn't long before snow started to fall. I opened the packaging of one of the hand warmers. It got hot as soon as it was exposed to air. Feeling creep back into my fingers as I clutched the little bag. But I didn't relax for long. Randy was going way too fast. I told him to slow down. He didn't listen. In fact, 
I'm not sure if Randy even heard me. He was gripping the steering wheel and was hyper-focused on the road. The highway reached a point where plows rarely traveled, and Randy didn't bother acknowledging my existence anymore. To him, there was nothing but the snow-covered road, the mountains, the trees, and the delicious cold of the ice cream sandwich. The car skidded from lane to lane, but Randy kept his foot on the gas pedal. I shouted for him to stop. I said, You're not well. I'm going to drive. This time, Randy looked me in the eye. He replied, No. The road curved, but he reacted a second too late. He slammed on the brakes, and we spun off the highway and down a slope. We fishtailed farther into the trees. We hit one of them and kept going. When we finally stopped, we were at the bottom, and I couldn't even see the road. We sat there, with me stunned, and Randy munching on the last of the ice cream sandwich. Dude, I said at last, we just crashed. So cold in my mouth, Randy said. Why is the world on fire? Make the burning stop. The world, of course, was as frozen as ever. It was a little chilling, too. We were in what I've referred to since as the metal graveyard. It was a clearing with countless banged-up cars and trucks, many of them so rusted I couldn't guess what model they were. Others were newer but smashed. They weren't going anywhere but a trash compactor. We were the lucky ones, as Randy's car was one of the few that hadn't landed on its top. Looks like you weren't the first one to take that curve too fast, Randy, I said. I couldn't understand why all these cars hadn't been cleared out. I wondered if the drivers were rotting inside. From what I could tell, though, the cars were empty. You panic too much, Randy said. He grunted and began to drive the car up the hill to the highway. Snow sprayed everywhere, and we made it three inches. The engine made a rattling noise that was not good. I flipped open my phone. No signal. When I asked Randy if he was getting any service, he shrugged and said, I forgot my pocket telephone. With a lick of his fingers, he finally finished that stupid sandwich. I was about to tell him that I would climb up to the road and try to call a tow truck from there, but I was interrupted by a woman tapping on my window. You know, it's funny. Years later, I only remember two things about her appearance. She was underdressed for the cold. I think she wore a sweatshirt, and she had these mostly blue eyes. They had a green shimmer, as if emeralds were hiding behind a blue veil. I couldn't stop looking at them, and her. She knocked again, and I gathered my wits enough to roll the window down. Can I help you? I said way too casually. She laughed. It sounded like, oh, I don't know, a waterfall tinkling against glass? I was enthralled, and she knew it. You stuck? She said. Nope. Enjoying the view. When I realized that sounded creepy, I quickly added, We heard there was a car show, and it looks like we got here a little late. She shook her head at the weak joke. I just rolled my car down the hill a mile back. Pretty embarrassing, since I live around here. I should have known better than to take it too fast, but familiarity breeds overconfidence. That's Shakespeare, you know. I nodded. How could I tell someone so beautiful she was wrong? Have you tried calling anyone? She asked. No signal, I said. The road isn't any better. I tried. I'm on my way to the fishing lodge. There's a landline phone there. You two gentlemen feeling like escorting a lady across the lake? Let's go, Randy said. He surprised me a little. I had thought he was in his feverish la-la land. The snow went halfway to our knees, and with all the rocks and trees, it was slow going out of the metal graveyard. But I hardly noticed. I was too busy getting to know our new friend. Her name was Norma, and wow. After five minutes, it seemed we had known each other for five years. I can't remember what we talked about. 
all I could think about was her. When she stumbled over a log, I caught her hand without thinking. Our fingers locked for a second, but she pulled back as though burned. She demanded to know what I was doing. I stammered something about trying to help her when she tripped. She relaxed, and she pointed to her palm. It was bright red. It could have been a light burn or a rash. Then she pointed to my hand, and I showed her the hand warmer. Put it away, please. I'm allergic to those things. I put it in my pocket without thinking. She smiled, and she took my hand in hers. I could feel her burned skin throbbing. Or maybe it was my heart. I know it sounds corny, but I never wanted to let go of Norma again. Randy, meanwhile, was taking up the rear. He didn't have any protection against the cold beyond his t-shirt, but he didn't notice. He was muttering to himself. His movements became more robotic with every step. Norma didn't pay him much attention. I like to think I was having the same effect on her that she was having on me. We stopped at the edge of a frozen lake. I couldn't make out the far shore. The lake was ringed on every side with skeletal trees. The trees weren't just leafless, they were dead. As I touched one, I realized it was no longer a tree at all. It had been petrified. The most curious thing about the rock forest was the stump. If some picnickers had decided to use it as a table, it would have seated at least ten of them. I tried to imagine its size before it was cut down. None of the other trees were even half that big. I'm sure the gray-brown stump had been cut down, not just toppled. Lightning or rot doesn't make surfaces so flat and polished. Whether the stump had been stone before it lost its trunk, I have no idea. But its size was not what drew me to it. It was the words. At first, I thought the authors were lovesick vandals who had scratched their initials into the rock. But these were phrases written in countless languages. I doubted the United Nations even knew about some of them. I recognized the usual suspects, like Spanish, French, Mandarin Chinese, and Esperanto. But many I didn't. Some appeared to be written with hieroglyphs or pictograms. I got the sense that this stump was more ancient than I could imagine, and there was a good chance a lot of the languages here had been forgotten long ago. Some of the pictograms caught my eye. One of them was an oval with a squiggly line on either side, sort of like an egg with wings. Walking toward it were three stick figures. The person in the middle was leaning backward, as if he or she didn't want to approach whatever the oval was supposed to be but the other two people were making sure that was inevitable. Nearby, I finally spotted English. The sleepless mouth will consume your flesh, and we will praise his tentacles forever. Norma stroked the back of my head. I got goosebumps that made the message seem silly, like a nightmare in the afternoon. The stump's impressive at first, she said, but if you grow up here, you realize whoever made the carvings was an artist who was very talented and incredibly bored. I couldn't agree with her on this either, as angelic as Norma was. Yes, there was a multitude of languages and writing systems all over the stump, but despite the fact that I'm no archaeologist, it was obvious that they were done in different handwriting and chiseled at different times. Randy took a look at the carvings, nodded, and collapsed face first onto the stump. Make the burning stop, he whispered. Is your friend all right? Norma asked, as though seeing him for the first time. Fever, I said. I need to get him to a doctor. The fishing lodge? Of course, Norma said. She helped me get Randy to his feet. Each of us slung one of his arms onto our shoulders. His head drooped. We dragged him with his feet moving half-heartedly. I stopped when we reached the edge of the lake. I asked Norma if that was a good idea. We have to go across, was the answer. That's where the lodge is. Can't we go around, I asked. I don't think your friend has enough time for us to hike through all the trees. 
Don't worry, Bob. The lake freezes early. She placed one foot on the ice and pressed all her weight on it. It seemed solid. I let her lead us onto the ice. I tried not to think about the fact that we looked like the three stick figures, except the person in the middle was too weak to want to get away. After a few minutes, my nervousness ebbed a little. The blizzard had stopped, and shafts of cold sunlight breaking through the clouds gave the ice a blinding sparkle where it appeared between the snowdrifts. I convinced myself that what we were doing wasn't a big deal. It was like walking across a giant, slippery diamond. The lake was beautiful. Norma was beautiful. Randy was, uh, Randy. And a Thanksgiving feast was waiting for me. All we had to do was get to the fishing lodge, easy as pecan pie. After a few minutes, we reached a point where the shore was far away in every direction. My misgivings returned when I spotted a dark patch ahead. At first, I thought it was the shadow of one of the snow mounds that we would pass from time to time, but it was moving up and down. Being close to the intoxicating Norma, even though she was on the other side of Randy, must have made me more scatterbrained than I thought, because it took me way too long to realize that was liquid water. I became aware of the ice creaking under our feet. How long had it been like that? Move away from the hole, I ordered. We slowly backed up. I thought I spotted a look of disappointment on Norma, but that could have been the shimmer of the ice. When we had reached what I assumed was a safe distance, we stopped to catch our breath. The lake was not as solid as Norma had said, and that hole was wide enough for all three of us to disappear in it at once. I could make out the far shore now, but I couldn't see a building of any kind. Maybe Norma was wrong about that too, but getting to land in any direction but forward would take time I wasn't sure Randy had. I nearly cried with relief when my pocket vibrated. With my free hand, I reached into my pocket past the hand warmer and pulled out my phone. I didn't recognize the number. Hello? I said. The voice at the other end was breaking up, but I could make out. We're calling because we have detected a virus on your computer. In fact, you've already been pre-approved for a protection plan. Help! I shouted into the phone. My friend is dying and we're standing on a half-frozen lake. Hello? Hello? Unfortunately, this story is not about a crooked telemarketer who saved the day. The scammer hadn't hung up. I had lost the connection. No matter how I angled the phone, I couldn't get the signal back. We've got to get going, Norma said. We can't wait for your phone to get a signal again. I don't know what we're supposed to do, I said. Randy's not even conscious anymore, and I don't even think there's a fishing lodge. Norma relaxed her hold on Randy, and we set him on the ice. She took me by the hands. Her grip climbed up my arms, and she had me in a full embrace. I couldn't stop staring at her sparkling eyes behind the blue, so much emerald. Don't be troubled. We all get where we need to go. Her lips brushed against mine, and nothing else mattered. The whole world could have been cracking ice, and I was willing to plummet into the coldest abyss as long as I was with her. We hoisted Randy between us again. He was sweaty and limp. We continued our march across the lake, staying far away from the hole in the ice. It was a ways behind us when the thumping began. It was a low sound, almost like a murmur, but it rattled the ice. It paused as soon as I turned to Norma. The ice must be shifting, she said. Don't worry, Bob. I think we're above the deepest part of the lake. It should be thicker here. But she was wrong, because in front of us was another hole, just as wide and round as the last one. Norma pulled us toward it. The thumping resumed. It was getting louder. I think I resisted, but Norma said something. The next few seconds are cloudy. Before I knew it, we were standing hand in hand and way too close to the edge of the second hole. Randy was sprawled on the ice behind us. The water was frothing. The thumping was deafening. 
Something was moving beneath the surface, something massive and oval-shaped. I tried to run away, but Norma's grip was unyielding. The thing was getting closer. Now I could make out a mouth with teeth. So many teeth, growing in every direction in countless rows. Things were bulging on either side of the enormous head, but I couldn't tell what they were. You were one of my favorites, Bob, Norma said. I will savor our time together. Since she was pulling me toward the beast, I figured there was only one thing I could do. When the first of the teeth emerged, I yanked my arm forward and rushed closer to the hole. Norma was caught off balance. She slipped, and I gave her a good kick. She spun into the hole, and the squishing noises she made when she was impaled on the teeth, well, it wasn't quite as nasty as the green liquid that gushed from her body. The beast was still, and the only part of it above the water was the teeth. I backed away from the hole. The teeth had gone through Norma's broken body in dozens of places. Her neck was askew, but she managed to turn her head. You will pay for this, Bob, feeding me my own tentacle. The insult, the blasphemy. I will chew slowly on your organs. With that, the space between the top and bottom teeth widened and clamped shut a few times. The thing I knew as Norma was crushed. The teeth convulsed as the unseen throat gulped. The teeth disappeared. Behind me, Randy groaned. He clutched his head. What are we doing on an ice rink? He asked. Bob, aren't I supposed to be... Why aren't I home for Thanksgiving? I'll explain when we're on land, I said. We've got to leave. Now! I helped him up. He was still feverish, but he was regaining his strength and could walk on his own. Well, more like stagger with my help, but I was pretty worn out from dragging him before and didn't complain at the improvement. You know, I really thought we were going to make it, but as we approached the first hole, the noise under the ice resumed. It was quiet at first, as though the monster were trying to be sneaky. Thump. 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 Randy's eyes widened. I told him, don't worry, we just need to stay as far away from that hole as possible. Randy didn't seem convinced. I don't think the, uh, local wildlife can break through the ice, at least not without a lot of time and effort, I said. The local wildlife? Do you mean... I shrugged. Let him believe what he wanted. No way I was going to try to explain a giant head with teeth like spears that spoke through beautiful women. And Norma had called herself a tentacle? I have to see it, Randy said. He stepped toward the hole and motioned me to follow. Don't get any closer, seriously. Please, you act like it's a Loch Ness monster under there. Here, Nessie, Nessie, Nessie. I tried to tell him how stupid he was acting when my phone buzzed. A signal. I flipped it open. This time, not a call, but a text. Hey dude, it read. Looks like my mom isn't making pecan pie this year. I'll see if I can smuggle you a slice of cherry pie in the plane, though. LOL. It was from... Randy. My momentary confusion must have been obvious because the next thing I knew, I was being tackled. My phone flew from my hands, and my head slammed into the ice in a burst of red. I must have passed out for a few seconds because the next thing I knew, Randy was dragging me by the ankles toward the hole. He was having trouble walking in a straight line, and I could feel the heat of his hands through my socks. All I could hear was thump, 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 thump. He glanced back at me and grinned. The thumping stopped. I tried to kick out of his grasp, but like Norma, he was stronger than he looked. Randy, or whoever, you don't have to do this, I said. We're pals, right? I bought you that ice cream sandwich. You enjoyed that. A momentary relief. He used my feet to point to himself. This tentacle may be old and dying, but it is still enough to pour food into my true mouth. My mouth, which never sleeps.
The beast emerged from the hole in a burst of freezing spray. It looked almost human. I mean, except for the thin layer of ice stuck to its yellow-gray skin, the lack of a nose, and the bulging sack attached to either cheek. Oh, and of course, the teeth. It gazed into the clouds with all the emotion of a trout. I nearly puked. It reeked like tuna that had been left out on a summer day. I told you through the other tentacle that you would pay for your blasphemy, Randy said. You will beg for death as I grind and crunch your flesh, and you will have ample time to reflect on your heresy. My promises are fate. My worshippers knew it. A shame you learned too late. Worshippers? You mean you had people praying to you? I was still trying to kick out of his grasp, but breaking free was impossible. I find that hard to believe. Hey, Myrtle, are you going to church? Oh, no, Edna. I go to the lake to pray to a giant floating head that smells like rotting armpits. Sorry, I just can't picture that. Randy stopped. We were at the edge of the hole. My world was still spinning from the blow to the head, and the stench of the creature was unbearable. Its breath was warm and sticky. I'll have you know, I had thousands of worshippers for thousands of years, Randy said. I sat up and reached into my pocket. Had? Why did they stop? I asked. You ran out of sacrifices, got too greedy, and ate your entire congregation? Randy grabbed me by the shoulders and he lifted me to my feet. The beast made a hissing noise when it opened wide. I knew I couldn't get away, and my trick with Norma wouldn't work a second time. Randy was about to toss me in, and I shoved my hand warmer into his mouth. Randy gagged and stumbled backward. I lunged toward him and wrapped my fingers around his lips. He trembled and tore at my hands, but I clamped his jaw shut. The skin in his forehead split, and green liquid dribbled down his cheek. His eyes. I saw now that although they were brown, they had a slight emerald tint to them too. They did not show pain, but anger. Then Randy exploded. Warm green goo went everywhere. I was drenched in the stuff. Randy's t-shirt and jeans sunk, rumpled, onto the ice. I wiped what remained of him off my face. The gigantic head was still there, gazing at the sky, unmoving. I didn't waste time getting away from it. I found my phone and started to run toward the stump in safety. I stopped. Stupid me. How was I supposed to get out of here? I went back, closer to the hole, where Randy's clothes remained. I dug through his pockets, not fun when they're full of green squishy something, and found his keys. The creature still hadn't submerged. As far as I could tell, it wasn't doing anything except one of the sacks on the side of its face moved. A scratching sound echoed across the lake and chilled the back of my neck. A hand punched through the sack. It was a man's, and the arm was thick and strong. I skedaddled and didn't look back. Not when I was on the shore, not when I was among the petrified trees, not when I was in the metal graveyard, not when I scrambled up the snow-covered slope. I only collapsed when I was on the road. There was no sign of the newborn tentacle. Norma or whatever I should call that female manifestation of the sleepless mouth, was just as truthful about not getting a signal on the road as she was about the existence of the fishing lodge. I had two bars, and within minutes, I was connected to a towing company. The receptionist was a little surprised when I said where I was. This highway was rarely used. I waited for a couple hours. I did what I could to wipe the green goo off me. I paced up and down the lonely, unplowed road. Moving, I figured, was safer than standing there. I thought I heard something in the trees below, but I didn't see anything. When the truck finally came, I got as close to the driver as I could without making things weird. When I saw his eyes were gray and had no green in them, I led him down the slope to Randy's car. He dropped the tow chain and nearly swallowed his pipe when he saw the metal graveyard. 
I don't believe it, he said over and over. He looked inside each of the cars. For clues, he said. He recognized many of those cars from alerts that tow truck companies would get from law enforcement. When he returned to his truck, he called the police. Later, I found out that authorities linked the missing vehicles to 52 missing persons since 1976. Investigators blamed it on the poorly designed bend in the road. They said the bodies were never found due to the local wildlife. They told reporters that at least the families had closure. No one looked further into the matter, except for me. In the years afterward, I uncovered a few odd things about the disappearances. Many of the last people who had seen these poor souls before they vanished said they left with someone who was familiar or with an attractive stranger. One witness said he was sure he saw his wife get into a car with a man that looked just like himself. Another person said her son had just met a stunningly pretty woman and the two went for a drive and never came back. A well-liked high school teacher was seen leaving the hairdressers with a tall, dark, and handsome man no one recognized. She too was never seen again. All the victims were from towns within 100 miles of the lake. All of the victims vanished in the colder months. Why they were chosen, why I was chosen, and how, I'm not sure. I wondered how long it took the thing that had called itself Randy to get to my apartment. Had he, had it, been young when it started walking down the road? Were the tentacles of the sleepless mouth so short-lived? Once I got back to my apartment, I didn't get much sleep. The next day, I celebrated Thanksgiving alone at McDonald's with a chicken sandwich. I wanted to feel sorry for myself, but I was on edge wondering who would walk into the restaurant. For weeks after the incident on the lake, I viewed everyone I met as a potential tentacle of the sleepless mouth. That time in the restaurant was the last quiet moment I would get for a long time, because once the insurance company called Randy, the real Randy, he was not exactly pleased I had taken his car on a joyride and needed a tow. In fact, he nearly exploded like the tentacle counterfeit of himself when he told me the mechanic said the car was no longer drivable and it would cost more to fix than it was worth. Randy didn't press charges, fortunately, but I totally ruined his Thanksgiving and his life. At least, that's what he told me. Repeatedly, until I moved out. How could I have told him the truth? Hey Randy, this thing that looked just like you, which was actually part of a lake monster, drove me in your precious car and crashed it in the middle of nowhere so I could be devoured. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I never got that promised piece of pie. As far as the lake itself, once the cars were cleared out, it seemed to be rediscovered. It's got campsites, beaches, a marina, year-round fishing, and even hosts a summer camp for kids with special needs. All but a few of the petrified trees were cleared away to make room for the new developments, and I haven't met anyone who knows what happened to the stump. At least people don't disappear around here anymore. The lake offers some great kayaking too, which I'm hoping we can do tomorrow, weather permitting. I'll show you about where the holes in the ice were. Don't give me that look. I'm sure the creature moved on through one of the rivers that feeds into the lake, and it isn't lurking below the surface anymore. Pretty sure. This episode was written and performed by Robert Patton. Uncle Bob's Campfire is a Curious Realms production. <laughs>